Uh, if you have your if you have your Bible, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter one this morning, and that's actually going to be uh, on page ten seventy nine. 1079 on in that pew bible in front of you so if you did not bring a copy of scripture there should be one really close to you you can grab that bible if you do not have a bible then that is your bible and you can take that home with you and we want everybody here to have a copy of scripture and so um as you're flipping pages i'm going to pray and just ask god to bless our time together so let's uh let's pray father we are god we are so grateful for your word we're grateful for our time here this morning and lord specifically i just want to pray as i've god as as you know i've prayed all week long god that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened god that you would give us a greater glimpse of the gospel and the implications of the gospel in our life god stir in us a greater love and affection for you and for the life that you've you've called us to Awaken us to the reality of what it means to be a believer. And so we come in this time and we just ask that you would, God, that you would, that you would move in our midst, that you would accomplish the things in us that we can't accomplish in, accomplish in ourselves. We need you. And so help us in this time. We thank you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're... We're moving through Ephesians, and so uh, if you're here this morning, we're studying through the book of Ephesians, and um, really what we need to understand is that Ephesians is really a book, uh, and it's broken into two halves. In chapters one through three, it's really just this expansive scope of the gospel. Uh, My wife, uh, who was an English teacher for years and years and years, would be really impressed with me right now, so I'm going to impress her in second service, but uh, it's really the indicative okay and so it's the is of the gospel it's the is of the gospel so like what paul is doing he's just laying out what the gospel is and what it means to be a christian and so there's just this expansive scape of the gospel and so chapters one through three there's there's literally only one command and then we get to to chapters four through six and we see the implications of everything that we now know to be true in chapters one through three so this is the imperative. So we have the is of the gospel and this, like, okay, in light of what we now know to be true, this is what we do in light of, in light of that. And so that's what we see in the first, uh, you know, broken into halves. And so re- think of it like this. This is the best way to think about it. The good news comes before the good advice. Does that make sense? The good news comes before the, the good advice. So on your handout, if you have a handout, um, our first blank is before Paul gives us any good advice... He makes sure that we first understand and embrace the good news. Now, there's there's really been a shift in um, preaching in America, really in the last, I don't know, I would say specifically in the last decade, but um, there's been this shift to the opposite. So So many churches are filled with preaching that goes straight to good advice. And like, okay, these are things that are going to make your life better. And so people will come into to churches and they will be given these biblical principles and understand something. Biblical principles are good. The do is important. Okay, that's important. I mean, the do is the second half of, of the book of Ephesians. So it is important what we do. But this idea that, hey, we're going to skip over the good news and we're just going to just apply these principles to your life 
And if you do these things and really just focus in on these things, then you're gonna, it's going to be beneficial to you. It's going to be beneficial to your, uh, to your marriage. It's going to be beneficial to, um, to your family. It's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit you in some way. And so here's this good advice. Go and do these things, which that's fine. Those are good things. Biblical principles, they, they work. <laughs> Would you agree? They work. But there's never going to be any lasting change if we skip over the good news and focus solely on the good advice. It changes no one. It works, but it do- doing those things doesn't change us. And so what we have to understand is that before we can do the good advice, we must be gripped by and changed by the good news. Before we can ever get to the good advice, we've got to be gripped by and changed by the good news. And that's what Paul is getting at. That's what we've been talking about for the past two weeks in unpacking Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul's teaching so far has been 100% just grounded in the gospel. And we're going to move from, we're going to move from what he's, where he's been and now we're going to move into this prayer. And so Paul's teaching so far has been grounded in the gospel, but Paul's prayer is gripped by the gospel. And the reason is, is because he knows if we get this, when we get this, that it changes everything. It literally changes everything. And so I thought it'd be very helpful for us if we went back, and uh, I know it's going to be a little bit of a long passage, but I want to go back and let's just revisit everything that we've talked about for the last couple weeks so that we can go into uh go into this prayer that paul prays okay um i tony i want you to know i um i did some research this week and they are called party blowers they are called party blowers and um there's different kinds like you got all kinds of different kinds you got the ones that roll out you got the ones that got the little uh, tinsels or whatever you got some that are just blowers and some that are uh, y'all are like why are we going into all this some that have noisemakers in them and so you got all kinds of different ones well out of the kindness of my heart I went and got Tony a party blower this week right so I'm gonna read now look I specific I specifically listen I specifically got the one without any noisemaker in it because He's going to be a distraction over here. But here's the thing. You're going to need this. And look, it's Super Mario Kart. How awesome is that? You're going to need this next week in Chapter 2 because more, more great stuff coming in Chapter 2, okay? So he's just over there. You broke it? No, that's what I'm saying. No, no noisemaker. Not for you, buddy. No noisemaker. Nope, can't have it. Okay, so let's just, uh, let's just read, uh, and y'all try not to pay attention. I'm telling you, I didn't go with the noisemaker because I knew it would be bad, bad news. But let's, uh, let's read back over everything that we talked about the last couple of weeks. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father. Now think about this. Christian, this is true for you. No matter how you feel, no matter, like, this is, this is the truth of the gospel. This is what it means to be in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, 
He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of to the praise of his glory okay amen like that is an unbelievable, unbelievable, he's, he's disappointed, no noise. It is an unbelievable truth. And, and here's what I want us to, to think about as we launch into our discussion this morning. That the, the object of our faith matters. And Paul is pointing to Christ, like he's the object of our faith. And so, um, for instance, if I'm drowning, hopefully somebody in here would lend me a hand. Okay, but if I'm drowning... And you're on the, the bank of the river or the shore or whatever. And my hope is in a center block. And there's a center block standing next to you. And I'm like, throw me the center block. Because my hope is, is that that center block is going to, going to save me. That I can ho- grab a hold of that center block. And it's going, to, it's going to get me out of this jam that I'm in. Well, we know that center block is not the way to go. That I need a life ring, that I need a flotation device, that I need a rope, that I need something. But what we place our faith in, it does matter. And we can place our faith in the wrong object. And, and Paul is pointing to the fact that, hey, our faith is in Christ. And here's the reality. The reality is, is that every single person that walks planet Earth that has ever existed has faith in something. Everybody has placed their, their hope into, into something. For some people, it's a career. For some people, it's a spouse. Or maybe it's kids. Or maybe it's getting into this school or that school. Or, and, and there's a lot of people that have radical faith that have caused them to do radical things. I mean, there, there are people who had faith that led them to fly airplanes into a building. Right? And so just because we have faith we got to make sure that the faith is in the, in the right object. And in Ephesians 1, what Paul is doing is he's shifting our, our focus. He's, he's helping fix our gaze and our eyes on the hope that's going to sustain us no matter what happens or comes our way. That's what he's, that's what he's doing. That the object of our faith that meets at Jesus, it meets at the cross, it meets at an empty tomb. Like it's, it's Jesus and that's where our hope is. Is found, and so it's got to be in the right object. And when when it is, it leads to hope, and we will flourish together. Now, here's here's what I want you to think about: thinking about our faith being in the right object, our hope being in the right object. I want you to consider some prayers. And if you you pray these prayers, 
Um, this is nothing against you. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray this way or pray, but, but let's just consider some prayers. And, and maybe you've heard this prayed. Maybe you've said it prayed. Or you, maybe you've prayed this yourself. But think about um, maybe a prayer to, Lord, keep us safe. Keep us safe. Now, is there anything wrong with that? I mean, I don't think so. But there's this prayer of, of Lord, would you, would you keep us would you keep us safe? Uh, you know, kids, most kids, unless you're with Gulfport School District and a couple other school districts, most kids just got out of school this past week. And so uh, exams were here uh, recent. And, uh, and so, like, you know, there's always that, that wonderful uh, prayer of, Lord, help me pass this test. I know I didn't study. I didn't do anything to prepare. But could you somehow give me knowledge and information that I don't have or help me to be a really good guesser on multiple choice you know it's like this whole but it's like Lord help me so keep me safe or help me pass this test or help me to accomplish this thing whatever it is that's set before us and then there's also it's like we pray these prayers and they they look different sound different but it's all the same it's really just make this thing go away whatever it is that I'm experiencing whatever it is that I'm going to would you somehow I want you to change my circumstances from what they are because ultimately what I want is I want to avoid the pain. I want to avoid the loss. I want to avoid the suffering. Like if we can just make this thing go away, then that would be, that would be awesome. And so we pray for things like we pray for healing. Like God, would you heal them? And, and listen, I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying like these are things that we can all, we can all gather around. God, would you bring healing? Would you make everything better? And essentially is what we want is we just want to be, we want to be comfortable in this life. We want to experience comfort. And this is, as I was preparing this week, this is what, this is what I thought about. You know what these prayers tell me? Because they, they reveal something. That our hope is primarily in this life. That's, that's what it reveals. That our hope is primarily in the things of this world. And so we pray that it's, it just reveals that truth. And, and so if you stop and think about it, the, the, the reality is, is that our hope is primarily in this world and in this life. And we can get into a routine of praying our own ideas and our own thoughts. And there's this tendency to have misplaced hope. There's this, this tendency to have a wrong perspective as to what's going on and what God has, has called us to. And Paul knows this. And so his prayer that we're going to dive into this morning, his, this prayer is gripped by the gospel. It is, he's not praying for safety. He's not praying for, as a matter of fact, he sits in prison. And, and when he asks for prayer, at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, he doesn't say, hey, I pray, pray that God would get me out of this, this pinch that I'm in. No, he says, pray that God would give me boldness that I might proclaim the gospel. And so he's not going to pray about safety. He's not going to pray about passing the exam. He's not going to pray about healing or this or that or that. Like he's going, he's going right into something that he's praying for the Ephesian church. I believe this is the prayer for us today and the prayer that we should be praying for one another. And if I had to sum everything up that, that this prayer uh, that Paul gives, I, I would say it like this. This is really the direction that we're going. This is the direction of the prayer. This is the direction we're going this morning. This, this really sums up everything that we're going to talk about. That Paul's gospel-shaped prayer is a call to shake us 
out of our limited perspective and stir us to pray more biblically and boldly. That's, that's where we're going this morning. I, um, gosh, I don't know how many times I've prayed this prayer for you this week. I mean, I literally was down on my face here this morning praying for you guys, praying for us that we would, that we would, that this would be true for us. If you, if you're a student in here or former student that, that came through while I was a student pastor, this prayer has been prayed for you more than any other prayer that I've prayed. I have prayed this over the students countless times. I can't tell you how many times that this, because because if this is true, then this changes everything. It changes everything. So we see in the first part of, of Ephesians 1 that the opening message is gripped by the gospel. That, that as Tony said, that we live in a house of mirrors and it's just a reflection of others and a reflection of ourselves. And so what Paul does is he throws open the window and we go to the window and we look out at what really is true and what really is. And so we've, we've looked out the window and now this prayer is gripped by the gospel and there's this desire that, that the hope would be in the right object and that our hope would flow from this reality and that's where real life change is going to take place. So in verse 15, Paul says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you uh, for you, remembering you, in my prayers. So we're going to go back to our main point here in just a second, but can we just stop for just a minute and take notice that Paul stops, and before he begins, he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your, your faith, because I've heard of the love that you have towards one, I don't cease to give thanks for you and to pray for you continually. And so we see that what, what Paul is doing, is he's, he's giving thanks for the gospel work in the lives of the people that he loves in, in the Ephesian church, like he stops. And this is not uncommon. And so if you look through the, the letters of Paul in, uh, let's see, in 1 Corinthians 1.4, in Ephesians 1.16, in Philippians 1.3, in Colossians 1.3, in 1 Thessalonians 1.2, in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, and in 2 Timothy 1.3, he in some way, shape, or form is giving thanks to God for the gospel work in the lives of the people in which he loves. So if Paul is continually doing this over and over and over and over again, don't you think that we should stop and just ask ourselves, like, what are we, are we, are we doing this? Are we giving thanks for the church and the work that God is doing in and among the people around us? And I believe, I believe that this would be helpful for us in the church that we would give thanks for one another. And I think if we, you know, if we ask the question this morning, you know, I think most people would say, well, you know, I'd really like to get better at reading my Bible or really get better at, at prayer. Um, maybe I don't do those things like I ought to. But in general, as, in, you know, as a whole, I think that uh, we probably should do a better job of giving thanks for, for one another. I believe Thanksgiving is, is lacking in most people in the church. Now, we may be good at giving thanks for the things in our life, for the things that our hope is, is in, but I believe that giving thanks for one another is really lacking in, in the church, and we don't 
give thanks like we ought to. And when we do, what it does is it leads to humility. It leads to encouragement. It leads to edification of the, of the church. It leads to really, really good things. Now, I started thinking, too, about, um, you know, over the years, just people that um, going through difficult seasons and difficult times uh, will come to me and, like, just really just struggling with and discouraged. And uh, one of the things I often do is I'll tell them, hey, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to, to get a journal or get a, piece of paper, get a piece of paper or something. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down all the things that you have to be thankful for. Spend some time focusing your attention on all the ways that God is being so good and so faithful in your life. And as soon as you start doing that, all of a sudden you realize, like, wait, wait a minute. Like, and you shift your focus off of the one thing that, that isn't going your way, where you can't see God working in the middle of it, where it's difficult and hard, and all of a sudden you begin to see. And then you look back at all the things that, and the ways in which you've seen Him be faithful and seen Him work, and all of a sudden it puts things into puts things into perspective and really hey you want a good place to start whenever you're discouraged go to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 read that get your party blower out and have a good old time right like start there but there's this the shift in focus will have huge implications and it'll lead to to encouragement it'll lead to contentment when we give thanks for the gospel work in in the lives of the people around us it humbles us and it encourages us I, so you know i'm always trying to preach whatever we're studying like i'm preaching to myself before i ever get up here to preach to you so i i just sat in my office this week and i started thinking about all the all the gospel work that i see in the lives of the people around us and, and i still i was just like okay i got to work on the message so i can't do this all day but i just started thinking about just this week and, and I thought back to Wednesday night, how we're up teaching a, a group of people in Starting Point and uh, just people who are new around here. And uh, after we're done, a young lady comes up to Tony. And she's like, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And she starts talking and just talking about how God, the, just the gospel work, like uh, just very new here. And God's already stirring and working and moving. And, and, and the, the class before that, another young man had come up to me and we're having a wonderful conversation and we're sorting through things. The gospel's at work and already just very, very new around here, but God's, God's at work. And while we were teaching starting point, there was a 17-year-old young man who showed up here about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and I can remember when he first showed up, and I'm like, who's this kid? And God saves him, and God begins to, to work in his life, and I just am able to see unbelievable potential in this young man. And he's growing him and nurturing, and, and, and Olin stood in, the, stood in the gap last week as Pastor Chandler was out of town on a mission trip, and Olin stood before his peers, and he proclaimed the gospel, and and taught a wonderful message that both encouraged and challenged and convicted. And, and I've heard nothing but wonderful things about what God did in and through that young man. That kid that just showed up, didn't know anything, and here he is. And that, I thought about this past Sunday, how we gathered together with, with our community group leaders. And we, we shared a meal. And I started thinking about, uh, as I was just sitting in my office, and I was, look, I'm just telling y'all, I was a mess in my office I, I was just thinking about I was, I was remembering the table and all the faces of the people that were sitting at that that table and I started thinking about 
all the things that God has done in their life. I, I started thinking about all the, the gospel work that he's done in them, but not only that, but through their ministry, through community group and leading and loving the people of this church. And I'm just, I'm just giving thanks. I, I'm thinking about the fact that next Sunday we're going we're gonna to baptize Four young people, and I'll, I'll let them tell their story, but we get to baptize Gabby, and we get to baptize Kayla, and we get to baptize Victoria, and we get to baptize Ethan, and the gospel work that God has done and is doing in their life. Like, we have a lot to be thankful for, and we shouldn't just hold on to that. Like, the, the, the example we have before us is that, hey, we're going to give thanks before God, but Paul doesn't just take it to God. He tells them. He tells them. We should be telling one another. We should be giving thanks for one another. We should thank the Lord. And that will make us a church of humble people focused on Christ and focused on one another. And it will make us strong and it will make us healthy. And it will make us even better. And so I encourage you to, to do that. And this isn't just a one-time thing either. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Now, if you're... If you're headed out of here into community group which i hope you are one of the one of the questions on the back of that page and i think it's the second or third question but community group leaders i would encourage you to skip straight to that question and if you lead a class where you have a where you have a um you've prepared a lesson and maybe you don't do the sermon-based discussion i would encourage you to take some time and and just let the class let, let the class do this let let's spend some time and if you don't get to any other question on that page, that's okay. And if you don't get to the lesson you've prepared, that's okay. Let, let's be a thankful people. And let's, let's be people who give thanksgiving for the gospel work that we see in the lives of each other. Let's, let's do that. Let's do it. Verse 17. Okay, that was free. We're actually going to get into the... <laughs> All right. Verse 17. He, he says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so what we see here is Paul saying, I want you to know God. Not just know about God. I want you to know God, to know the living God. And not to know about him, but to know him firsthand, to know him intimately, to know him deeper than you know anyone or anything else in this life. My desire, my hope is that you know the living God. And we live in a world where we can know a lot of things about a lot of people, right? And, and as Tony's talked about, we live, we live in a world of mirrors. And so we can, you know, we give off reflections. And, but we also live in a world where, especially with, you know, with social media, and like we can know a lot of things about a lot of people. Like for instance, I know a lot of things about Drew Brees. And so, you know, Drew Brees was, uh, was the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, and they've been struggling since he, since he retired. Um, but I mean, you know, we can go online and in just a matter of seconds, you can, you can have all his stats. You can know how long he played. You can know where he played. You can know this. You can know that. Like, I, was, I actually follow the Saints. And so um, Breeze this past week was at one of his kids' schools in a dunk tank, right? Like just trying to raise money and help. So like I know where Drew Breeze was this past week. Okay, you know what I mean? But we live in a world where we can know a lot of things about him. I can know a lot about his leadership. I can know a lot about 
uh, the way he played. I can know a lot about his passion. But, but I don't know that firsthand. So here's what I thought about. What must it have been like to play with Drew Brees? What must it have been like to be in the locker room? To be on the battlefield week in and week out? To be the one, he broke a lot of records and then there was Brady, but unfortunately. But like, what must it have been like to be the receiver that caught those record-breaking passes? What, what was that like? Then I thought, what must it be like to be the son of Drew Brees? What, what was that like? What is that like? I thought back, to, thought back to 2009 when they won the Super Bowl. thought about this picture right here. That's his, that's his little boy. His boy is a little anymore. That's 2009. But Breeze just hit the pinnacle of his profession. And what he wants more than anything is he wants his son to experience every bit of that. And so as the beloved Drew Brees is going in and out of the city of New Orleans, as he goes, he can't go anywhere where people aren't pulling for his attention. And his son watches and sees, and sees the love that people have for him and the, the respect that people have for him. And the, all the while, that's my dad. That's my dad. And although you may want to shake his hand, you may want his autograph, you may want a picture, guess what? I get to crawl up in his lap when we get home tonight. I get to enjoy and experience, I get to experience all these wonderful things that come with, with being the son of Drew Brees, but I get to experience Drew Brees on a level that everybody else doesn't get. And not only that, but his son will be forever shaped by those experiences. It, Drew Brees teaches uh, coaches his son's football team all the kids are looking like drew Brees, my coach he's like that's my dad it's a game changer and paul's saying i want you to know i want you to know god that way i want you to understand that you're not just you don't know a bunch of stuff about god he he's not just he's not just your coach that's your dad that you get to crawl up in the lap of your father that everybody else doesn't get to experience. These are the, the blessings that come with knowing God in a very intimate and deep way. Like this is, what we, this is what we get. These are the experiences of a child of God. And Paul is praying that we would have a deeper knowledge and understanding. That, that God would give us wisdom and insight. That he would give us revelation. That he would pull back the curtain so that you can see exactly what it means for you to know the living God. This is, what it, this is what it is. Step in because you get to go behind the curtain. You get to go behind the curtain. And so here's my question for you. What's the primary way that we gain wisdom and knowledge and insight when it comes to God? How do we know God more? Where do we meet him and hear from him? How do we do that? It's a lot of different ways, but primarily it's through his word. That's... That's the primary way. And so as God's people, we will never be the people God intends us to be if we neglect time with Him. Very intentional about putting with Him in His Word. That we've got to be a people who are committed to daily growing in our relationship 
with him, knowing him more and more. It's a deepening, abiding love and relationship. And so that means, as God's people, we must be going, uh, we must be in the Word. We must be continually going back to the window. We've got to leave the, the smoke and the mirrors, and we've got to constantly be going back to the window. We've got to, we've got, because that's, that's where we're changed. That's where, that's where God is. That's where truth is. That's where we're going to be constantly shaped and, and changed and molded into who he wants us to be, that, that the truth of the gospel will forever shape us. And then also, it also means that we've got to approach the Bible differently than we approach any other book. The Bible is not a textbook. We don't go to the Bible to gain some information about God. That is not what Paul was talking about here. That we don't, it's not about information. It's about something so much more. That we meet with our Father and we allow our time with Him to be shaped by Him. And so it's not about gaining information. It's about knowing Him more intimately. Experiencing His love. See, if you, if you think about, um, you know, we had a whole discussion about just relationships in general before we uh, started in chapter 1 of Ephesians. We, we talked about some things in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning 6. And so we talk about those things. Here, here's the thing. That, yes, we all want to be, if you're married, you want to be a better husband. You want to be a better father. You want to be a better parent. You want to be a better child. You want to be a better boss. You want to be a better employee. We want to be, all the, we want to be better at all these things. Like that, that should, we should want to, to do those things. But if you think, if you focus on doing those things and you never lean into knowing God more and experiencing his love. See, the only... Husbands, the only way that you can love your wife as Christ loved the church is when you come to know and experience the love of God. And you grow in that. You're never going to be the husband God intended you to be apart from that. And so it starts with him. And so we want these things to change, our relationships to change. Well, the way in which that happens is as we dive into and lean into and grow in our knowledge, experiencing God. Verse 18, verse 18. Then he goes on, really verse 18 and 19 are really the heart of this prayer and really the heart of chapter 1. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. So we see here that that Paul begins. He first starts talking about, okay, well, he prays for better knowledge of Christ. Well, now he's praying for better spiritual vision. I thought back to, um, so many of you know, but not everybody, I was a, a fireman before I was a pastor. And, uh, and so I can remember, golly, way back when, um, just my, my training days when I was a recruit. And one of the things that, uh, that we would do is we would put on a a blackout mask, and we would do search and rescue. We would, we would practice search and rescue. Uh, and then I can remember all the years of being on the other end, doing the training, and being able to watch the guys with the blackout masks on. That's way more fun. Um, and the reason why we put these blackout masks on is because regardless of what you've seen in the movies, um, you don't go running into a building, and you can see perfectly clear, and here's the fire over here. Uh, most fires, when you go into a a house fire, a building fire, you can't see your hand in front of your face. You can't see anything. So you're literally going in blind. 
and, and you're having to navigate your way through this house or this building. And really, even when you get to the fire, you really can't see fires. You're really just seeing a, a glow. And, and so you can't see anything. Like I said, you can't see your hand in front of your face. So it's really entertaining if some guys have some blackout masks on and they're doing search and rescue and they're looking for a body. And, and a lot of times they could get lost in just an open room. It, it's quite comical. Right? That there's, a, there's a dummy out there that they're supposed to be going in to find, and it's literally just inches away from, from where they are, but they can't see it, they can't find it, they can't. And then I can remember when, um, now this wasn't the case early on, now just about every truck around has a thermal imaging camera on it. And, uh, and a thermal imaging camera allows you to, to see what you can't see. And so you go, into a, you go into a house fire. And so back in the day, we just had them on our rescue trucks. And so there was like one camera in every district. And so you're going in blind into this, into this house. And then when, when rescue shows up and they've got the thermal imaging camera, now all of a sudden you can see everything. You can see the guy that's ramming his head into the wall. You, you, you know, he's down on his hands and knees and he's butting his head on the wall. You can, you can see fire in the walls. You can see where the fire is. You can see if there's a victim down. You can see because you can see everything. But apart from that, you can't. You're literally going in blind, and you're just reaching and feeling and hoping that, hey, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to find them. We're going to get what we know. But the thermal imaging camera, what it, what it does is it allows us to look through the right lens with right vision, and it enlightens us to see something that we could not see. Well, that's what Paul is praying for, that we would have spiritual vision and perception. Here's a quote I found. It says, I just don't want to have any hope, nor do I want to have confidence. The last thing I want is to be enlightened or to have insight. Wisdom is of no use to me. You know who said that? Nobody ever. Who says that? Nobody says that. Who says that? I don't want to have any hope. Okay. I don't want to have any confidence. I don't want to be enlightened. I don't want to have insight. I don't want to have wisdom. I don't want any of that. No, that'd be like saying, I don't want food. I don't want water. I don't need oxygen. That, like, no, like we, we want those things. We need those things. There's a passage of scripture in 2 Kings. And in this passage, um, this really brings to, brings to light everything that we're talking about. In this passage, um, Elisha uh, is ticked the Syrians off, and so they're coming to get him. Like they want, they don't like his message. They don't like what's going on, and so in the middle of the night, the, these Syrians they surround and encamp the encampment of where Elisha is. And so when um, morning breaks, the servant of Elisha he goes out, and when he goes out, he realizes, uh oh, we are in trouble. This is no good. This is bad. And so the servant comes back, and he's like, we're in, we're in a bad spot. We're in a tight spot. And so I don't know what we're going to do, but we're about to get decimated. We're, we're done for. There's no hope. There's no chance. Like, there's no shot. And then listen to what Elisha says. He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know what's interesting to me about this passage of Scripture? Servant doesn't quit seeing the enemy. He doesn't quit seeing 
the threat. Neither does Elisha. Elisha, he's standing there with hope. He's standing there with confidence. He's standing there, but he doesn't stop seeing the threat. He doesn't stop seeing the enemy. It's still there, but his eyes are enlightened. That, and that changes everything, that hope is ignited. doesn't matter who's standing in front of us, because look who's standing with us, right? Who's standing with you? The, the immeasurable greatness of the power of God goes with us. And so often we pray to remove our circumstances. And what Paul wants us to do is to, to pray to see beyond our circumstances. That's what he wants for us. And so really he prays this in three ways. And so we'll unpack these quickly. Number one. So Paul prays for eyes, uh, the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened in three ways. Number one, the hope to which he called you. The hope to which he called you. That he called you, and he spent a lot of time framing this in before he ever gets to the prayer. That he called you to an eternal relationship with him. Son, daughter of God. Child of God. Child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are held up in Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is the calling on your life. This is the calling for the, for the believer that we've been raised to life to serve a living God. And he's saying, let them hope in that. That's what we hope in. Child of God, this is, this is your calling. Not your marriage. Not the successes of your, what your kids do or, or don't do. Our calling is not in our career or portfolio. It's not in how big of a house we have or don't have. It's not in the type of car that we drive. It's not how much money's in our bank account. It's not in our retirement. It's not in whether or not we get the starting position in whatever sport we play. It's not in whether or not we get a scholarship to this school or that school. It's not single people. It's not in, in, in the spouse that we one day, fingers crossed, hope that we'll maybe get. Our hope is not in those things. That our hope is in Christ and it's held up in Christ and it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is the calling of our life. Our hope is in Christ alone. Our hope is not found in the things of this world. None of those things that I just mentioned are bad things. But that is not where we're to put our hope. Because I promise you, every single one of those things will fail us or can be taken away. That our hope is in Christ, in Christ alone. In Psalm 39, the psalmist says this, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? Where's my hope? What am I waiting for? Where am I going to? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Number two. When we're talking about praying for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. The riches of his glorious inheritance. I want to I revisit real quick um, something that Tony mentioned last week. Because hopefully it didn't go over your head, and I feel like we need to be reminded of this again. Because it's clear in, uh, in the, the passage, which we, we just read. Like, it's clear what, what God, from the passage last week and what we see this morning. It, but it's really unfathomable if we just stop and think about it. That not only do we have an inheritance, but we are His inheritance? What? And here's what God wants us to know in that. He wants us to know that he invests everything in his inheritance. What he wants us to know is that of all of his creation, that we're his prized possession. Stop and think about that. 
He wants us to know how much we mean to him. As much as we're looking forward to spending eternity in heaven with God, he's looking forward to spending eternity with us. What? Like, that is mind-boggling. And so not only do we have an inheritance, but we're, we're his inheritance? Unbelievable. But we do have an inheritance. And what Paul wants for us is to, he wants the Ephesian people, he wants us to, to see what God has, has waiting. And when we know and see what God has waiting, then we're able to endure the, all the things that make us uncomfortable, all the things, all the difficulties, all the things that we wish were different. He wants us to know that this isn't the end. This isn't all that, that there will be. In Romans chapter 8, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I just think, like, if we could see heaven for 30 seconds, 30 seconds, it would radically change everything about us. I think about, now, this is just my opinion, because we don't see it in Scripture, but I think about Lazarus. We sang about Lazarus this morning, being raised from the dead. I think about Lazarus. You know, here's the story. Like, like all his family and all his friends, they're all weeping and crying, and then, because Lazarus is dead. He's been in a tomb for days. Jesus shows up. He calls Lazarus out. Everybody's crying. Lazarus walks out. Everybody's rejoicing. Everybody but one person. Lazarus! See, Lazarus was rejoicing, now he's crying. Because he was just in heaven. You know what I mean? Like, stop and think about that. But here's what I think about. And this is, this, again, this is just my thoughts, this is my assumption. I think from that moment forward, everything changed for Lazarus. I feel like Lazarus cleared out all the clutter in his life. I feel like his priorities shifted. He had a glimpse of, of what really mattered. Not just mattered in this life, but mattered in eternity. Like it was a game changer that he, he had a different devotion. It wasn't that he wasn't devoted before, but now he's really devoted and he's devoted to the, the most important things, that there's a passion, there's an urgency. All these things changed in Lazarus's life. And so that was, that's what Paul wants us to see is like when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we're going we're gonna to look back and we're going to we're going to ask the question, why did I worry so much about things that don't matter? Why did I spend so much time on trivial things? Why did I get so worked up about things that just don't matter? And we're so easily distracted from gospel things that we devote ourselves to not bad things, but lesser things. And in that moment, it will be so abundantly clear. And Paul's asking, hey, God, would you give him a glimpse? Just a glimpse. Because that will radically impact the things that they give their lives to, the things that they're devoted to. It will help them take some clutter out of their life so they can devote them thing, themselves to the things that really matter. And number three, the immeasurable greatness of his power. The immeasurable greatness of his power. I would give an example of God's power here, but it says it's immeasurable. So whatever it is that I tried to do um, would fall short. And so, you know, we could talk about uh, 
the simple fact that God spoke the world into existence, that's pretty powerful, right? But um, it says it's immeasurable. Even that, like we can't really understand that or fathom that. Like what, what is that? Like spoke the world into existence. So here's what we'll do. We'll just go with the example that he gives us. How about that? So he gives us this example in verse 20. He says, uh, well, he, he says, according to the working of his great might, in verse 20, he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So here's the, here's the example that Paul gives us. He's like, we could have given a lot of examples. You're never going to fully understand anyway, but let's just go with Jesus was dead and now he's not. That's pretty good, right? That, that there was a moment as Christ was on the cross that his heart stopped beating. And blood, blood quit flowing through his veins. There was no more breathing, no more oxygen being exchanged. For a time, there was probably some brain activity and some firing. And then that stopped. Rigor mortis began to set in. They laid him in a tomb. And for days he laid in the tomb. Not minutes, days. And then his heart began to beat. And blood began to flow back through his veins. Oxygen entered his lungs. His brain fully functioning. A resurrected body, a resurrected king. And you know what scripture just said right here? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. We walk around defeated. We're just constantly struggling. And our heads hang low. Here's here's the reality. We, We think about the resurrection as the the ultimate display of God's love, and it is. But the resurrection is also the ultimate display of his power. It is. And the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in his people. Listen, listen what scripture says in 2 Peter 1.3. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence he's given us everything that we need and so we're, we're constantly struggling we're constantly walking around so many believers have no confidence and i'm not talking about confidence in myself or my my strength or my abilities or my anything it's it's in it's in him and so many believers walked around not experiencing any victory over the things that we've we have victory in and we walk around enslaved to things that we've been set free from and we don't realize the, the, how much power, here's what we don't realize, how much power is at work to our advantage that the same, the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. And then he finishes in verse, we'll, we'll pick back up in verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That Christ wasn't just raised from the dead, but he was exalted. He was given the name above every other name. The name above Muhammad. The name above Buddha. The name above Joseph Smith. The name above Biden. The name above Putin. The name above Trump. The name above LeBron James. The name above Drew Brees. The name above Jeff Bezos. The name above, you fill in the blank, Michael Jordan. The name above... uh, Elon Musk, the name above Tom Brady, the nut, whoever your goat is, no matter how much power, no matter how much money, no matter how much influence they have, there's a name above all names. And he reigns supreme and he's exalted and he holds us up in him. And that we reign with Christ because he's been exalted. Like that's our story. That is that is our story as children of God. So what is it that we can't, that we can't do, that we can't endure, that we, forever, we will forever reign with Christ because he's been exalted? Puts things in perspective. Remember, where do we start this thing? We talked about a limited perspective, right? Paul's gospel-shaped prayer is a call to shake us out of our limited perspective and stir us to pray more biblically and more boldly. And so what do we do? What do we do? Soak in the book that opens up the mystery of Jesus' lordship. That's what we do. Seek his heart through his word. Allow his word to saturate our hearts so that our hope isn't misplaced. And that will impact how we see the world. It'll impact how we live. It'll impact the things that we devote our life to. It'll impact the way that we pray. Here's another thing I would say. Pray with an open Bible. Pray with an open Bible. Allow the the Word of God, the gospel and the substance of His Word to guide our prayers. Pray Pray this prayer. And when we do this, our prayers will not become shallow and short and superficial and selfish. So here's, you'll notice there's, there's two blanks on your, the bottom of your handout. I'm not giving those to you. That's, that's you. We're going to have a time of response here in just a moment. And here's what I'd like you to do in the first blank. I'd like you to write the name of somebody in this fellowship that you have noticed the gospel working in their lives. I want you to write. Don't do it now. Hold on. And I want you to. I want you to write their name down, and I want you to give thanks to God for the gospel work in their lives. Maybe you need to have a conversation with them, too. Maybe you need to go to them, or, or maybe they're in your community group, and you're going to get a chance to tell everybody the, the work that you see God doing in their life. And the second blank is, is who's somebody that you're going to pray, you're going to be committed to this week, this month, this year, to pray this prayer, that God would open their heart, that he would enlighten, that he would awaken these truths in their hearts and in their lives. Who is it that you're going to be committed to praying this prayer for? And so I'm going to pray and we're going to have a time of response. And and in that time, I want you to just stop and reflect. And I want you to give thanks and I want you to pray. You can do that here. You can do that in your seat. I don't care. But that's how we're going to end our time together. So I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
God, the truth is, is we can't see these things on our own. The only way that we're going to, to be able to see is if you enlighten us. And so we humbly come before you asking that you would just give us a greater glimpse into who you are. Give us a greater glimpse of your great love for us. Give us a greater glimpse of the hope of our calling. Give us a greater glimpse of the inheritance that awaits and how that will impact the way in which we live our lives and the things that we devote ourselves to. Lord, give us a greater glimpse of your power at work in us. God, that we would walk in your strength and not our own. That you sit far above all rulers and authorities. God, above the, the cosmic powers in this present age, you sit above the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You, you reign supreme above them all. Help us to have a greater glimpse of that and help us to walk forward from this moment differently as you've enlightened us. We thank you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen. You can, you can stay seated, you can stand, I, I don't care, but just a time of reflection and response. If there's a conversation that you need to have with myself,